So welcome to Wild in Theology. My name is Will and this is my co-host Kaylee. Hello. So before we get into this, I just wanted to say that this podcast is not safe for work. If you are at work or somewhere sensitive like that, please put in headphones. Uh, we do talk about sexual things in this podcast, specifically porn addiction. Now, obviously this may not apply to you, but we do talk about how to overcome addiction, overcome OCD and intrusive thoughts, and how to begin dealing with trauma. So if these things interest you or you're just interested in porn, then definitely stick around because there's some really good stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in porn. Yeah, yeah. This is very <laughs> sex. Yeah. Now that I've got your attention. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. This is like this one commercial that I always laugh about. It's like it starts off with like, let's talk about sex. Wait a minute. No, let's talk about you. And it's just such a marketing <laughs> tactic to be like sex. No, make it personal about you and it's just oh, it's so cheesy it's so funny. yeah but it works every time though it does i'm always listening <laughs> yeah. um and you're telling everybody about it now. <laughs> that's so true so if you want to follow us wild in theology you can find us on twitter and instagram at wild in theology yeah so it <laughs> <laughs> so getting into the actual podcast if you're listening to this i'd honestly be very surprised if you've ever heard of hocd um, Unless you listen to our previous podcast. Yes, on, that's very true. Which episode was that? That was on the, the fapping, right. what they don't teach you in school. Yeah. Um, but it is, it, you know, it's one of the most common issues that people recovering from porn addiction face. And yet most people don't even know what it is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And many who do know what it is actually don't even think it's real. And we're going to get into that discussion, of course, but if you don't know what it is, it stands for Homosexual Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And it's a subtype of SOCD or Sexuality OCD. As the name suggests, it is a mental disorder that consists of obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors in regard to one's sexuality. In the case of HOCD, it is specific to the fear of being homosexual. This includes constantly anxiously questioning one's sexuality or constantly anxiously checking to see if one is attracted to the same sex. That's intense. Yeah, it is. It's very heavy. It is. The whole, everything in the OCD category is like, it's scary to mm. think that it's like your mind is attacking you yeah. with these intrusive thoughts. Mm. This is yeah. perfect way to describe it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it feels. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I, can't, I couldn't imagine living with that and just not being able to trust your own mind or knowing. It's like you're gaslighting yourself all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah, exactly. Gaslighting yourself is actually the perfect way to describe it. Mm -hmm. It really is gaslighting. You're constantly questioning yourself, um, as you'll soon see. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. But like I said, though, I've seen many people from without and even within the NoFap community who don't actually believe that HOCD exists, mm -hmm. right? I've seen some claim that it's, you know, it's this sort of conserv conservative conspiracy in the tradition of like gay conversion therapy that is trying to get people to think, oh, you being gay is a mental illness called HOCD. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not that, you know, but I absolutely get these fears. As I'll explain though, HOCD is absolutely a real thing, you know, Again, if you watched our last uh, episode, fapping, um, what they don't teach you in school, I am a heterosexual male and I have struggled with HOCD. Mm -hmm. 
in the depths of my struggle, I was quite convinced that I was losing my mind. Uh, I knew deep down that I was straight. I had always been attracted to women, and yet I couldn't stop the constant intrusive thoughts that questioned my sexuality. We're going to get deeper into that, but first I wanted to deal with the naysayers, the people who don't believe. And one of the most common counterpoints to the idea of HOCD is that it's, you know, just a bunch of men who are in denial either about their homosexuality or their bisexuality. Firstly, there are people of all genders who experience some sort of manifestation of sexuality OCD. There are straight women who fear they're gay. There are gay men who fear they're straight. Most striking, I find, is that there are bisexual people who have SOCD in regard to only liking genders other than the gender of their current partner, right? So let's say you're a bisexual woman in a relationship with a woman. This woman would have obsessive thoughts about only being attracted to men, right? Like I'd be lying if I said that homophobia had nothing to do with the development of HOCD. Of course it does. But clearly this is not an issue exclusive to gay men in denial that is motivated by, you know, toxic masculinity or internalized homophobia. Like I said, I'm sure that does happen, but it certainly isn't always the case. You know, like if you're shocked at this point at the complexity of reality, you really haven't been paying attention. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of different ways to suffer and to thrive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, you're right. You just said most people don't even know this exists. Mm -hmm. And before you talked about it on the Fapping episode, I had never heard of it. And the fact that it's, it's so much more than just HOCD. It's all of the, the sexuality, obsessive compulsive mm. disorders that can take on a full range of expressions. It's yeah. terrifying. It really is. And like, the thing is, if you know a little bit about H or, uh, OCD in general, it's like you can have people who have OCD about like throwing a baby every time they see a baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like you have these crazy manifestations of this, of this mental illness. And yet there's some people who would deny that's true about sexuality. It's like, mm -hmm. of course that is, mm -hmm. you know, of course that could be uh, potentiality. Yeah. yeah. It really can have limitless manifestations. Yeah. And, and what's more is that many of the people who've experienced HOCD claim to have always been straight, mm -hmm. right? Like even those who are held tightly within the grip of HOCD, where it's like literally all they can think about, like anything sets them off. They claim that deep down inside, they know they could only be with the opposite sex. Like a woman with HOCD might be completely turned off by the idea of being with another woman, but still the thoughts relentlessly intrude into her mind. To make the matter even more confusing, and honestly downright disturbing, is the fact that many porn addicts develop exclusive tastes. Despite the fact that he's always been into girls for as long as he can remember and started out watching exclusively straight porn, uh, a man with HOCD may find himself incapable of watching anything but gay porn, all the while he's, you know, claiming that he is straight. Now, I realize that sounds ridiculous. Like, it, it sounded ridiculous to me, uh, even though I've experienced this. But assuming that HOCD is real, you can see how such a development would just feed into his obsessive thoughts. So with all of that being said though, like how do we know that their porn preferences aren't just a fetish? If porn wasn't somehow twisting a man's desires, how is such a situation possible, right? 
How is it possible that a man can spend his entire childhood having crushes on girls and as an adult has even been in sexually and emotionally satisfying relationships with women and yet now he can only masturbate to gay porn? How is it possible that a woman who was once fully satisfied watching heterosexual porn can now only masturbate to lesbian porn? It's definitely possible that a straight man or straight woman could get off on gay porn. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's like an authentic fetish. Mm -hmm. They identify as heterosexual or heteroromantic, whatever you want to call it. And yet they just like watching some gay porn. That's fine if they're fine with it. When it comes to people with HOCD, though, the issue is with the evolution of the exclusivity of their tastes on top of the intrusive, obsessive thoughts and compulsive checking behavior that causes immense distress. These are really the key factors. Yeah. So it must develop over time then. Like, yeah. What would that look like? Do you get into that? Cause, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Definitely. Okay, because I'm just thinking like... It doesn't just pop yeah, out of the blue. Yeah, how, how does one go from being like, oh yeah, like pretty relatively confident in their sexuality and in practice with others and alone when they're masturbating? Mm -hmm. How how do you get from that to those, that that level of intrusive thoughts and exclusivity when it comes to your porn taste? You know, we'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. It'll, it'll all become clear because again, this is, like I said, this is not something that just pops out of, into the, out of the blue. Mm -hmm. It's something that really develops over time. And it's kind of like the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the parable of like, if you put a frog in boiling water, they'll hop out. But if you put them in cool water and slowly turn up the temperature, it's too late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great. Uh, so I really hope at this point that I have made it clear that HOCD is a real thing. But, you know, if not, then maybe my own experience will convince anyone who is still on the fence. I actually have a very unique experience of HOCD that I don't think many who suffer with it have experienced it. Or at least, like, I certainly hope not. Oh, you're different? I am different. I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> many of you have definitely had similar experiences. And for you, this section may help you realize that you're not alone. And it does get kind of heavy. So just be aware of that. You know, when I was about seven years old, I was, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can go through it. You got this. Okay. <laughs> so when I was about seven years old, I, I was sexually molested by an older boy. Okay. Right. And, you know, I, I harbor no ill will to him as he was more than likely molested at the hands of someone else. Um, but at the time, you know, I wasn't really sure what was going on like looking back i think my only knowledge of it was like this is sex and sex is something bad and something that i wasn't supposed to do maybe i would have grown up and not really thought much of, of it but what made it far far worse was my religion and i definitely don't want this to become an attack on religion i have nothing against any religion this is just my own personal experience um, but with that said, though, the idea of homosexual sin was not something that I needed to know about, you know. Uh, if I had sex with a boy, that meant I was gay. And if being gay was a sin, then that meant I was going to hell. Mm -hmm. I became horrified that I was going to go to hell. And throughout my childhood, I, I dealt with a lot of anxiety around other boys, 
right? Like I was dealing with the fears of hell that simply come with being raised a Christian, but also these fears of being gay, which led to even more fear of hell. If I became too close to another boy, I started wondering if that was because I was gay. I would freeze up and distance myself, because, become incapable of talking to him, because I was so terrified that my liking of him was because I was gay. You know, and I was heavily bullied in elementary school, as I've talked about before, and looking back, I wonder how much of that experience was because of the way my molestation made me behave. Consumed as I was with anxiety and shame, I had no idea how to act around other people. And, you know, obviously being the weird kid tends to put a target on one's back. Yeah, and not having the confidence to stick up for yourself. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Like kind of, yeah, you, you assume that position of being like less than. Yeah. Well, because like you're kind of told that you are because like mm-hmm. if if I'm gay then and gay is bad, then there's something bad with me and I deserve any kind of mistreatment that I get, mm-hmm. you know, and of course it's like a very complex thing. I don't want to reduce it to this one thing, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a huge factor. I can't deny that. Yeah. And I don't want to get too deeply into my history with bullying here, but what I will state is that it gave me some social deficits that I'm still kind of sorting my way through to this day, mm-hmm. right? Like I've, I've definitely come a very long way, but along my journey, there was one experience that really stands out. Uh, before I get to that experience though, I want to finally kind of dive into my own experience with HOCD mm-hmm. because this kind of set the stage for it, but As will become obvious, my experience as a boy were HOCD in a way, but I wouldn't necessarily call that HOCD. It was more something that kind of, like I said, set the groundwork for it. Mm -hmm. My issues with it, though, really took off about eight years ago in the months leading up to my realization that my porn use had become a problem. In truth, though, (laughs) it began about two years prior to that when I was like, when I was first introduced to the idea of watching porn with trans women. And now just one caveat before I get into this, please understand that my conceptions of trans people were defined by being a teenager. So this is just how I thought about these issues back then, not what I currently believe. So just kind of bear with me because some of these things I could definitely call transphobic. So please excuse that. As with many people who watch this kind of porn, the escalation into it was a slow one. And for me, it started out as simple curiosity, right? Like growing up in rural Canada, I had no conception of what trans people were until I was like 17 years old. When I found out they existed, it barely even crossed my mind outside, like a passing, oh, weird. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't even know what these people existed like a couple months ago, you know? But that was until, of course, I was watching porn. As is a common experience, I had grown bored with my current genres and out of curiosity decided to search up trans women. I quickly decided that it just wasn't for me and uh, you know, I went on to finish to some other genre, but <laughs> that's really how genre escalation happens. Mm-hmm. This is like this genre escalation is a very real phenomenon in porn addiction and, and sex addiction and addiction generally. Yeah, definitely addiction. Yeah. And, and this is exactly how people develop these new fetishes. Mm-hmm. Whether it's curiosity or accident, we eventually cross paths with some new genre. And, you know, sometimes we'll be instantly turned on to it because we're already in a very aroused state. Mm-hmm. Other times we'll be indifferent and still other times we'll just be like straight up disgusted by it. Yeah, we're just shocked. Shocked, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah I've definitely come across some shocking porn, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
In the latter two, though, like that uh, being indifferent or disgusted, we'll either stop masturbating or we'll finish as something else. Yeah, you're probably more the latter in that case. Yeah, yeah. Just keep scrolling. Yeah, just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling. It's all good. Regardless of how we proceed, though, what we've done is conditioned our state of arousal to this new genre of porn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we will eventually go back to it due to that same boredom. It's just like we're in aroused state. We're a little bit bored with what we're watching. And so we go back to that to see if like we're into it this time. Right. And, and so this conditioning deepens slowly over time of just curiosity and boredom and our tastes slowly become exclusive to this new genre right? And this, again, continues until we become bored of it and move on to the next one, or until we abstain long enough from pornography that our mind has time to heal from the changes that porn addiction causes. This can also happen, right? And so it's like, if you, you know, when you first start getting into porn, it might be, you know, whatever porn that you're into, depending on your sexuality. And then it's like, oh, this thing isn't really enough for me. And so it's like, maybe you become a little bit more specific, like, I want to watch porn where the guy looks like this or where the girl looks like this. And then it becomes a little bit more specific. And over time, you eventually get to these new genres where they're very hyper-specific and a lot of the times very extreme. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they're not even real people anymore. What do you mean? Like there's all kinds of like video game porn mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like different creature porn. Yeah, it's yeah. just like all simulated like made in somebody's computer. It's like these aren't even people. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, like you you hear about like these people who are like marrying their body pillows and stuff like that. It's like, that's how that happened. Yeah, they'd be like, they probably started watching porn when they were like 12 and slowly got into like hentai and anime girls and shit like that. And now it's like they're exclusively attracted to anime girls to the point that they're marrying their body pillows. Yeah. You know, it it is really terrifying. And Mm -hmm. in that Alexander Katahakis talk that I just watched, Mm -hmm. she discusses a, uh, a boy who had been watching extreme porn compulsively since age 10. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. My heart just sunk. Like, there's no hope for this person. <laughs> I mean, of course there is. There is. Yeah, but yeah. it's like... Recovery it's is start, a long road. Yeah, when you start that young too, and it's mm. just like the access out there and the, the variety is endless. Like, that whole, what what do you call it? Like, g- genre... A genre escalation. Genre escalation. Like that can go on for a very long time because there are so many genres. Yes. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm honestly lucky that I, I found out about all this stuff when I did because like who knows what I could have got into. Like I've heard many stories from like NoFap of people getting into like really like horrifying fetishes that are like actually dangerous for themselves or other people. Yeah. Right? Like I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but like um, I guess that like, and again, like I want to make it clear that we're not trying to kink shame anybody, like whatever fetishes you have, that's what you have. And that's perfectly fine. The, the issue is when you have like a 10 year old boy getting to this stuff, when they have like no concept of what the consent is, they have no idea of what's like normal, intimate connection with another human being before including the sexual into it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a girl, boy or girl or whoever, whatever gender. But one of the ones that I came across once that kind of just shocked me was the fact that this person was like posting about how they could uh, live out a surgery fetish mm-hmm. where they literally wanted to get somebody to put them under anesthetic and do surgery on them. Right. And 
just for whatever reason, that was their fetish. That was what they got off to, which is like fine to be into that. But when you talk about like literally going out to find somebody who is like performing surgery on you, Mm -hmm. that's when things get very dangerous for obvious reasons. And so like these genre escalations, these fetish escalations, when they dive into like this compulsive addictive behavior and endangering themselves or others, then it's not kink shaming anymore. It's, it's a life or death situation. Yeah. That's a really interesting area to discuss when we talk about being sex positive and we're all mm-hmm. these caveats of like, it's okay if you're into this, even if you are into something and maybe yeah. it's not compulsive or addictive, you're just into it and you're okay with that. There, it, there must still be a level. There must still be some things that are just unhealthy to the person and to other people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But like, that's hard to talk about. Cause what is that is like, Oh, but we're sex positive And it's, if you're consenting adults, but there, there has to be still an area where things are unhealthy. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we can, we're not the ones to determine that. Maybe. Yeah. It is very difficult to say what that is because, yeah, you know, for how many thousands of years have we shamed people for their sexuality? Mm. And this whole like kink shaming conversation has like come out of that where it's like, no, we're reacting against that. And that's all amazing. Like that is sex positivity. But it's like you said, like sex positivity is also being able to talk about when sex can go wrong Mm -hmm. because sometimes sex can go wrong. And if we are so on board with sex positivity that we don't talk about any negatives that can come with sex, that's not really sex positivity. That's just blinding. Exactly. But coming back to kind of my progression, like for the first year of watching Transporn, I found that I was still not experiencing a high intensity HOCD, right? And the reason for this is primarily because in all the porn I watched, the trans woman was always in like the feminine role, so to speak. She was always very passable. She was always big breasted. Her penis wasn't like the main focus. In fact, I would say that at this time, the only reason I even began to prefer this porn was because the existence of her penis itself was like different enough. Mm -hmm. It was like that little bit taboo, that little bit like unexpected or breaking the boundary that like that was enough. Mm -hmm. My point is that there were still very available rationalizations for why it wasn't gay Mm -hmm. right and again this is my teenage mind thinking Mm -hmm. about this stuff Mm -hmm. as you can imagine though this began to change is by curiosity or accident i came across videos gifts or pictures where the trans woman's penis was the larger focus although i can't remember every step of the progression we can imagine that i eventually came across a video of a trans woman being blown by another trans woman or even by a man or some other situation like that right and the in the aroused state I was in when I came across them, it was just more stimulation. It was just adding more to the more fuel to the fire, let's say. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, my taste progressed such that my rationalizations weren't strong enough to deny that I was jerking off to something that seemed a little bit gay. That coupled with my history of homosexual fears created a direct path to crippling HOCD. And, you know, it kind of started with questioning my sexuality. You know, it's like... If I was watching trans women, does that mean I'm gay? Like, do I like guys? Well, no. I'm only jerking off to trans women. They're not real men, right? But then, why do I like watching her dick get sucked? By a man? Holy fuck, I'm watching a dude suck another man's dick. This is what's going on in your head. This is what's going on in my head. And... 
Wow. And it was just so intense and so shaming and self-disgusting and self-hating mm -hmm. that I was like, anytime I would watch it, I'd be in it. And again, it's like that addictive mechanism where it's like you're in it, you're watching it. And then afterward, you're like, does this mean I'm gay? And all these thoughts would come in and you'd be like freaked out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, th that sounds like the ravings of a madman. But it's like, realize how horrible it must have been to be that madman thinking these thoughts. Mm -hmm. This is why I hesitate to call it my, ch my childhood experience with the fear of being gay, an example of HOCD. Mm -hmm. Yes, I definitely had those fears bad enough to cripple my social development. I'd be playing with some boy and the thought would cross my mind, making me introverted and unsure, a little bit afraid. Mm -hmm. But it definitely wasn't a constant thing. No, it wasn't at that intrusive level. Exactly. It wasn't like, like I describe it as like the unadulterated frenetic energy of HOCD. So the next paragraph is going to be like an example of what it was like in my head every time I saw a man or I saw a picture of a man, right? And, and bear with me because this does probably get a little bit intense. So if like you just want to skip the next minute or so, just like skip, press the skip button, that's fine. Uh, but if you want to fully understand what it's like to have this, um, this mental illness, Listen ahead, because this is exactly what it's like. So imagine you're sitting in your room trying to read a textbook for school. You're relatively calm, maybe a bit bored, but focused on taking in the information. You know, your head is resting in one hand and you flip the page with the other and find your eyes drawn to a picture on the side of the page. It contains a man. A single thought intrudes into your mind. Is he hot? You feel your heart drop. Why would you think that? It's a guy. Why do you care if he's hot? Do you think he's hot? You feel your muscles tense. Shallow breaths barely penetrate your lungs. Look at him. You can't. You're literally afraid to look at him. Look at him. You finally look. Are you aroused right now? Does he arouse you? No. No, you're not gay. You like women. You've always liked women. You feel yourself begin to calm, but why do you think he's good looking? Wait, did your, did your dick just twitch? Your anxiety spikes higher. Why the fuck is it twitching if you don't think he's hot? Did it even twitch? Look at him again. Did your dick twitch? No. No, it didn't even twitch. Why are you even having these thoughts? What is wrong with you? Anyway, ignore that knot of anxiety, fear, and shame and start reading again. You can't? Well, fuck it. Maybe jerking off will help you. And that whole process would happen almost every single time I saw a man. I would go through this almost manic process of questioning my sexuality, of checking to see if I was aroused or attracted to that man in even the slightest way. And that checking, that constant vigilance for any sign is also part of what fuels it. Because when you're so alert for even the tiniest sign, you're going to find it. The checking becomes a way to perpetuate it because you inevitably find exactly what you're terrified you'll find. Mm -hmm. So did you feel that masturbating would help no. Ease that tension? No. No. It would only fuel it? It was just, you're just using an addictive substance to numb the pain for as long as you're using it. And then as soon as you're done, you feel shame of having done it. And then the thoughts just come back. It's just yeah. the addictive cycle. Exactly. 
But like, I mean, yeah, it's, it definitely is in the addictive cycle. It's not health as in like really good, oh, actually okay, healthier. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. like, do you feel that it was like relieving in some way? Like, um, did you feel like that's where it led to? Because, you know, when I feel like when, yeah. when, um, the addiction cycle is happening, it's like it, for, it starts with that like intrusion mm-hmm. and then it's almost like you need to release, you need to do the thing. And even though it, the shame comes after still, mm-hmm. it, it just perpetuates it. It's still, it's like, it almost like needs some kind of physical release. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like, again, it's like a numbing agent. Mm-hmm. And so it like kind of numbs you to the pain for a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's a moment of reprieve and then it'll just come back likely even stronger, yeah. you know, and o- over time, you know? And it's like in, in his book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, John Bradshaw, he talks about like the cycle of shame and how it's kind of characterized by like an, an addict's use of their substance to help alleviate their shame. Uh, but the very use of their substance is often shame inducing itself, right? And so it's like the shame of your addiction drives you deeper into the addiction itself. Mm-hmm. The existence of HOCD is like further evidence of how this cycle is taking place. Porn makes the symptoms of HOCD worse and the anxiety you experience from HOCD motivates you to use again. This vicious cycle is like Mm self-perpetuating. It's just crazy because I feel like, I mean, a very surface level understanding of addiction in general is like, oh, people just like want to do what feels good and they can't stop and they get like, there, there is an understanding of physiological addiction but it's more like it feels good that's why they keep doing it that's why they're addicted mm-hmm. but all of these examples just show that it doesn't really feel good <laughs> at all like yeah. and people you can be addicted to things that don't feel good and you can like hate yourself through every moment of it mm-hmm. but you still just have to do it sometimes yeah or you feel you have to do it yeah well that's one of the the ways that we diagnose addiction is that there's seeking without liking mm-hmm. is that like you need it, but you don't actually like it. In fact, you might hate every moment of it, but you still need to get this thing. Yeah. And I think, it, I don't know if I don't have a great understanding of this, but the opponent process theory, Okay. if you remember, I remember learning it in learning actually. In yeah. Fundamentals of learning. But it's like at some point the, the action or, thing whatever it is that you're addicted to it's not even to feel good anymore it's just to feel normal Mm -hmm. you know you just feel it's just you have to do it yeah i mean that's uh that's addiction or uh, caffeine in a nutshell Mm -hmm. you know it's like at a certain point you don't actually feel the caffeine anymore it's Mm -hmm. just your new normal Mm -hmm. you know um and that's definitely the case i think that that is the case where it's just you just need it to numb yourself from the pain that it is causing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But moving on from that positive topic, um, <laughs> when I, when I, I actually started like dealing with my addiction, um, I started with meditation, but working through my HOCD was obviously, as you can imagine, a massive source of shame and anxiety. You know, when I started meditating, it had like opened up the floodgates to my shame. Despite the fact that I'd already been dealing with a lot of shame and anxiety uh, because of my past and because of HOCD, for that first little bit, meditation did make it worse. You know, now I don't know if it was necessarily because it was literally getting worse, 
you know, maybe that is the case, but potentially it's because I was becoming more aware of how bad it actually was. Mm -hmm. And that made it seem like it was getting worse. You know, if you experience something like this yourself, it can be incredibly discouraging. You know, if you've experienced HOCD, OCD, or mental illness of any kind, please realize that this is just a part of, uh, part of the process of improvement. Mm -hmm. It may seem worse for the first few weeks or even months of progress, mm -hmm. but that is just the part of progress. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely felt that like, oh, why can't mm -hmm. I just go back to like being shitty, but not really realizing how shitty I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was kind yeah. of like more, it's kind of happier then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But obviously like well not. One of the analogies that I always used is like it's like you're like in a room and the floors are covered in shit mm -hmm. and you're just like looking around all you're just like, oh this is nice. But then you start like cleaning a little bit and you're like, Oh, it's that dirty. Mm -hmm. I can see this clean floor and then you look around and you're like, Oh my god, this is all shit. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like yeah. It like takes a while for you to start like cleaning it up enough to like feel like you actually have some control or there's some brightness in your life. For sure. And that first little glimpse of, of the clean floor is just showing you how much more work there is to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. So as I was meditating more and more, it showed me just how deeply that anxiety really ran and just how deeply that self-hatred and self-disgust really ran. My mind just became like a torrent of HOCD that was just constant. I'd like be walking to class and then suddenly have to run back to my dorm because my eyes like passed over another man's ass or like I made eye contact with him. And, you know, as soon as I'd get back, I'd be literally like rolling around on my bed, holding my head, wishing for death, just like sitting in the fetal position. Like, are you gay? Like, are you, are you fucking going insane? Like, why is this happening? Why won't it stop? And, you know, memories of like embarrassing things I had done in the past would hit me over and over again, augmenting my shame and self-hatred. Even memories of embarrassing things other people had done would set me off because it just reminded me of the feeling of embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And I became paranoid that my friends and family thought I was gay. I'd like analyze things I had said or things, I had, uh, or things they had said scouring over every conversation for little hints that might make them think I was gay or little things they had said where they were kind of hinting that they thought I was gay. Now, as all of this was going on, I had started to research porn addiction relentlessly, coming across the science, the therapy, other people's histories, their failures and successes. Inevitably, I came across information on HOCD. The, you know, that simple knowledge that I just wasn't alone became like a salve to my breaking mind. Like I said, I literally thought I was going insane, but now I knew that other people were experiencing the exact same thoughts and yet knew deep down that they weren't gay. Knowing that there was a possibility that I wasn't in denial probably saved me from like a complete mental breakdown. I have no idea how close I came, but I honestly don't know how much worse it could have become. And as I look back on that experience today, there's no doubt in my mind that it was the most suffering I've ever experienced. How old are you at this point? Because you're doing oh. this. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I believe I was, I would have been 19. Okay. So yeah. you probably were in university. Yeah. yeah. It, this was basically my, the entire first year of university. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I guess having that mind of like, oh, if I find the research... I feel like that's like a coping me mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, let me go find things that tell me I'm not crazy. Yeah. And then through that, it, it's good because then you find, like you said, community. Like you're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. 
and then you know there's hope for you yeah <laughs> well yeah like you just have no idea or i didn't have any idea that like anyone else had ever experienced this i thought it was like i was convinced that i must be in denial and yet every part of like my the, the deepest core of my being was saying that i wasn't gay and that like i could look back at my past and literally see that my entire life i had been interested in girls except for this one experience i had when i was seven when i was molested and the fears that that provided mm -hmm. right and so it's like that made it even worse where i was like oh did that make me gay mm -hmm. right and it's like it was just a very very confusing time where i just like didn't know what was happening to me and the fact that like I just didn't know and didn't know that anybody else had ever experienced this or could experience this was just horrifying. Mm -hmm. You know. And and had you always remembered that you were molested, or did you repress that for a part and did it like come back later? Um. No. No. I always remembered. Okay. Yeah. And do you think that trauma is at the heart of most of these issues in other people? We kind of covered this on the uh, the fapping episode. Yeah. Um. I think yes. For the most part, but I think that in today's day and age that because, you know, you have kids that are starting to watch porn so young mm -hmm. that their inability to kind of work their way around that becomes the trauma. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like you have like a 12 year old kid who's watching like some intense gangbang video or something and they have no idea how to deal with that. And that like shapes their sexuality and how they view women. They're not necessarily traumatized by it, but their inability to relate to women in a healthy way or to the girls their age in a healthy way because of that video becomes the trauma. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Just that accessibility mm. and can I, be traumatizing itself. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I do think that like most people have traumas in their day-to-day -day lives that aren't necessarily like traumatizing yeah. in, in like the, the, the single acute thing yeah. but it's like an over the lifetime of these little traumas that you don't have the coping skills or the thriving skills to deal with mm -hmm. that's when it becomes just like compounded yes over the entire life 100%, you know yeah. but like you know you might expect that like just learning about it was enough to cure my hocd but it wasn't <laughs> no um despite knowing that others had experienced the same thing i was still plagued by the intrusive thoughts and the compulsive checking and the paranoia that everyone thought i was gay OCD is an anxiety disorder. It is fueled by anxiety. The knowledge of HOCD was the first step in curing that anxiety because I knew I wasn't alone and there wasn't some special insanity, like I said, to what I was experiencing. However, the actual curing of my HOCD came after I'd been meditating long enough to see real improvement. And it's like I was sitting in a comfortable position meditating when a series of realizations began to wash over me. For the first time since beginning to deal with my HOCD, the simple, almost painfully obvious thought was offered to my conscious mind. Why does it matter that you're gay? I remember my eyes like popping open. Why did it matter if I was gay? I thought deeper on the question. Would my friends hate me? No. Would my family hate me? No. I'm very grateful to say that if I was gay, I'd have been accepted by everyone meaningful in my life. So if that wasn't the case, why would I be so paranoid that they knew I was gay? It made no sense. They wouldn't treat me any differently or stop hanging out with me. And in that moment, I, I, I suddenly awoke to the irrationality of all of this. 
And then that allowed the second realization to come. If I was gay, why would I be scared of being attracted to men? You know, the fear wasn't of the persecution I, was, I would face. I was afraid that I wouldn't be attracted to women. It wasn't necessarily that I was afraid of being gay. It was more that I was afraid that I wasn't attracted to women because I loved women so much. All my fantasies of dating, of having amazing experiences, a family, an entire life was always with a woman. And I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to have that despite knowing that I loved women. It's the same thing that happens to a bisexual person who has SOCD for the gender opposite their current partner. They are likely afraid that they don't really love their current partner, and so they express that fear through obsessive thoughts about their attraction to this, the other gender, mm -hmm. right? And for me, that realization was like a lightness in my chest mm -hmm. that like just seemed to spread throughout my entire body. If you're familiar at all with the language used around meditation, they often talk about having awakenings. When you have such an experience, you know exactly why they call it an awakening. And I'm definitely not saying that this experience was the same thing as a meditative awakening, but I distinctly remember this experience because the sun was shining into my room and for the first time in months, it felt like I could actually see how bright it was. It was like I'd been living in darkness and now I could see how obvious all of this irrationality really was and how obvious how obvious it was that this just wasn't a problem to be focused on mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah and that's something that you can hold on to because it's not like immediately intrusive thoughts will will, will go away and you'll never think that way mm -hmm. again you know but mm -hmm. it's like you can remind yourself of that realization time and time again and that can help yeah. bring you back to that level of peace Exactly. And this is really what led to this third realization, which is exactly that. You know, it's like if I'm not, a, if, if I am attracted to men, then I mean, I'm attracted to men. There's nothing wrong with that. If I didn't want to be with men, then I simply wouldn't be with men. I would be with women. Right. And, and like pay close attention to this if you've ever experienced something like this, because this is how I cured it. I accepted as truth what the HOCD was telling me. I stopped denying it. Whenever those thoughts came up, I would simply tell myself, okay, I guess I'm gay then. <laughs> you know, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. If everything is going to be okay, then there was no reason to check to see if I was gay. You know, it, it, it took some time, but every time the thoughts came up, I would just calmly tell myself that phrase and do my best to stop the checking. And eventually my symptoms just completely disappeared because there was nothing driving them anymore. Yeah. The shame wasn't there. It's exactly. Like you released that, and it had nothing to, to uh, intrude with. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't an attack anymore. It was just like, okay. Yeah. If that's it, then that's it. Yeah. And you weren't holding on to it. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, that's really the the biggest thing you find with you know mental illness like this is that if you just stop fighting it, it just there's nothing to fight. Mm -hmm. It's it's when you fight it, it's like you're creating the enemy. Mm -hmm. When you fight these thoughts, it's like you're putting the sword in your enemy's hand and saying, like, okay, let's fight about this. Mm -hmm. It's like this dude is just walking down the street and you give him a sword. Of course, he's going to fight you, yeah. you know? This dude, it was a guy? Wait, what? was he hot? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He's a hot kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking funny, good. I love that. <laughs> but uh, 
Okay, getting back to serious stuff. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> um, earlier on, I, I did mention that I would talk about an experience that I had in regard to social deficits I've dealt with, right? And everything I've covered so far is not that experience. The reason I'm highlighting this experience now is because it is the best example that I can think of and for my own life of what the power of acceptance can provide you. And, you know, by accepting fully the thing that I was most afraid of, I cured my HOCD. Like I said, the process wasn't instantaneous. It took me a couple of weeks to really see a large, consistent improvement. But the true power of acceptance was in the epiphanies it allowed me to discover about myself on top of the ones that I already discovered. Like the one that I'm talking about now was like a complete recontextualization that changed how I interpreted uh, reality my entire life. It was my first real experience with healing the trauma that had caused my addiction behavior, addictive behavior in the first place. Without a mind constantly full of fear and shame, I was able to realize something for the first time since my molestation. I realized deeply that the feelings for the male friends I had throughout my life were not the feelings of, of attraction. They were the feelings of friendship. For the first time in my life, I realized that all these years that I had confused the love of friendship with the love of homosexuality. And, you know, when I realized this for the first time, I literally bawled my eyes out, not just at the grief over what I'd been through, but at the sheer love that I now felt unrestricted toward the men in my life that, you know, the, the, these men are still my friends to this day. And I, I realized looking back that all these relationships I'd had with my friends where I'd become introverted and, and ashamed of myself had co been colored because of this experience that I literally had issues making friends with other men because of this experience I faced. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I fully accepted that if I'm gay, I'm going to be okay. And that's fine. That I could begin to have friendship, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And just being close to other men and loving them and letting them love you mm -hmm. without fear. That's, it's tragic to think that you could have missed out on all of that. Yeah. If you yeah. hung on to that fear. Yeah, it's really crazy to think about. And I'm, I'm honestly, you know, I've said many times throughout my life that like, I'm actually very grateful that I had issues with pornography because that's what like got me on the path of self-development that I could like figure out what was, you know, wrong with me from a certain perspective and heal from that and be pushed forward to like even higher heights than many people are ever ever bring themselves to mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm very focused on living a passionate life. I'm very focused on living, uh, a life that is alignment with my core values. And many people find that through many different avenues. But for me, I may never have found that if it wasn't for this experience. Yeah. You know, I feel that for sure. That's yeah. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of the things that I, I feel is endemic to masculinity today is the fact that when you when you kind of live in a homophobic society which we obviously do it puts barriers between the relationships that men can have with one another mm -hmm. is that like if you're afraid of being gay or afraid of being seen as gay you're going to be far more distant to your than you know far more distant to your friends 
than a woman might be. And it's kind of like a joke where like women will go to the bathroom together, they'll do everything together and they're so close together, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas men were just very like stoic and just like, how are you doing today? Good, great, okay. Let's talk about work or drink a beer, right? Yeah. And it's like, that's limiting the kind of friendships we can have and the kind of like intimacy that we can have with our friends. Yeah, definitely, you know? definitely. It's funny, actually just yesterday I was talking to one of my close friends that's a girl and uh, we were talking about how much we admire when we see two mm. men that you would like, would call like, oh, they have a bromance. <laughs> like just two guys, two really close friends mm. that just like love each other. You just see it in their eyes. Yeah, they yeah. tell each other everything. They go on little mandates and stuff. And I don't know. It's just so wholesome and yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And like I never... You know, it's never like a, oh, I wonder if they're gay or if they want to fuck each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, even if they did, that's fine. But like, yeah, because it is so rare to see men just totally like let themselves go and, and sure. truly love each other that way and be that close. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I, I uh, told one of my friends that I love them. Mm. It was a little bit awkward. Yeah. Like it was like, it, what do you mean you love me? Right. And I'm just like, no, like, I love you. Like, I really care about you. And I'm glad that you're my friend. Yeah. And it's like, that's something that many men may never be able to say to their friends, even if they feel that because they're afraid of what it might mean about them. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, I remember one time I, I hugged Sean, we were in Germany with our high school and uh, I hugged him. And, uh, I remember one of the, one of our classmates, her mom was with us. And the classmate told us that her mom had asked if we were gay because she saw us hug each other, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, even a grown woman seeing two, like, I think we were 17-year-old boys hugging and she's like, oh, are they gay? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Or another one that really pisses me off is when people call Frodo and Sam gay. Oh, yeah. Like, I have no issue if they're actually gay. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't That's bother me. Point, yeah. But the point is that you can't have two men who have been through hell together and who've become very close and love each other and have just this really close bond without saying, oh, they must be gay. Ha ha ha. It's like, doesn't that like shock you that you can't have that tight bond between two men without assuming it's gay? Yeah. And that's the thing that just like, dude, like this is one of the greatest stories of all time of brotherly love of, of brothers in arms who are fighting the personification of evil together. And it's like, oh, they must be gay. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. It's crazy how homophobia like trickles down yeah. into like in into into our generation too, which is like a lot more open than previous generations. Yeah, yeah. But we were still raised by the previous generation, so even a lot of men from their fathers maybe experienced less closeness and love. Like you know, maybe people's fathers didn't say like I love you and hugged them every yeah. time, you know. Yeah. I mean my uh my stepfather I like I always knew that he loved me. But we didn't say I love you to each other until like last year or two years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's just because he's the rural Saskatchewan, you know, farmer who grew up in a time when you just didn't say that. And so he's just not used to doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how many people do just like they never felt like their father loved them because he just never knew how to say it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only friendship, it's also like your relationship with your father and other men in your life, where it's just like, you're incapable of showing that level of intimacy. And if you want to talk about like toxic masculinity or any of these kind of conversations that we have about nowadays, it's just men's ability to show love for one another Mm -hmm. that could spell world of difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> so moving on, I just wanted to clarify one point about trauma. If we want to begin healing our trauma, we have to learn to accept both the trauma itself and the symptoms of that trauma. The symptom of my childhood molestation was the fear of being gay. If I accept the possibility of being gay, then I'm no longer afraid of being gay. If I'm no longer afraid of being gay, then I've cured one of the symptoms of my trauma. But to truly cure trauma, we must deal with the root cause. Accepting the symptoms of the trauma can rob it of its power. It absolutely can. You know, there was once a time when the thoughts of my molestation would make me cringe and anxiety and paranoia that people would find out, that God would find out and damn me to hell. Mm -hmm. As I talk about it now, there really isn't any negative emotional charge there. Mm -hmm. I've accepted that it happened. I understand how it affected me and I've dealt with it. And because of that, that allows me to look at the root cause in a more clear light so I can actually deal with that thing. Yeah, you've given yourself that bit of separation that now you can just see it not only as like an objective fact of something that happened in your personal history, mm -hmm. but you've actually moved to the point, as you said earlier, that you've actually seen this as something that's contributed to your development as a person in a positive way. Yeah. And yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. And, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and it's... When I look back on the fact that I had these thoughts, it almost feels like it happened to someone else, mm -hmm. right? And it's like not in a dissociative way, but more in a way where I'll look back and be like, yeah, holy fuck, like I went through that. And there's sort of like this, this pride at how far I've come and how good I currently feel. And like, like I said, I, I'm quite grateful that it happened because it gave me a reason to start on this path. And we've all been through some sort of trauma in our lives, but we often sweep it under the rug and leave ourselves unconscious of how it's actually influencing us. We need to not only commit to being aware of our trauma, but also commit to accepting the trauma and all that it has caused within our minds. You know, as I develop as a person, I'm becoming more and more conscious of the fact that there are many paths in life, but when it comes to acceptance, I still feel that it really is one of the fundamentals. I think that the path forward and upward in our lives really is dependent on our ability to accept. It's, it's this, often the, the only thing we can do. Yeah. But if we do that, it gives us so much power. Yeah, just to accept. Just mm. like, yeah, everything is exactly as it is. Yeah. And like fighting that is just creating more tension and resistance around it instead of just focusing on what you can do mm -hmm. and building from that. Yeah, resistance. Capital yeah. R resistance is the enemy. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And the funny thing is, is that accepting the resistance is how you get through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, so funny. We mm -hmm. talk about this so often. Like this yeah. is just like a fundamental truth of, of doing yeah. self-improvement and just living in general. Just don't resist. <laughs> just accept, just yeah. surrender. Everything is. Yeah. I think there's the, the concept, I could be butchering this, but I think it's Wu Wei. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a Taoist concept where it's like minimal effort mm -hmm. where it's like surrendering to whatever experience you feel and just like allowing it to kind of wash over you and giving your minimal effort to it is how you actually get the maximum outcome mm -hmm. because by putting in too much effort by putting in too much resistance you're actually making it worse yeah and so one of the examples i've heard of Wu Wei is like uh just like a river going through a canyon 
right? It's the water is slowly flowing over the rocks and over time, it cuts like a massive, the Grand Canyon into the surface of the earth, right? It's Wu Wei. It's just like the simplest, slowest, most minimal effort creates the biggest effect over time. Yeah. That's acceptance. Acceptance is just like accepting everything you can so that you're not resisting unnecessarily. And that allows you to have the biggest punch, essentially. Yeah. It always reminds me of Dune. And just like that quote, like, fear is the mind killer. Mm -hmm. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. And then by allowing that fear to pass over and through, eventually it becomes nothing. And only you remain. Yeah. That's like... Frank Herbert was very inspired by Zen Buddhism. So that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. It's just like in most, in many of the cases of mental illness or emotional issues, it is often a reaction to whatever we're experiencing that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. You know, HOCD, OCD, uh, I'm sure eating disorders is like this. When you react against this, it makes it worse than simply accepting the thoughts. You know, like maybe you can, you can correct me on this, but it's like o OCD sounds very similar to what you might experience if you look in the mirror and call yourself fat. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well then I'm fat then and everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you can kind of relate to or? Um, I don't think I've accepted that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, just the whole addictive arc is something yeah. that I resonate with with mm. my eating disorder it's like that's exactly it and that that feeling of like fear and anxiety and need to exert some kind of toxic method of control over yeah. that mm -hmm. but then doing that just perpetuates it yeah and it's all bound up in shame yeah. and it just gets worse like mm -hmm. you know the whole like increasing the shame aspect too is mm -hmm. very similar and then it just makes it so you can't stop yeah you know it's 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 funny how all this works. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Now for real though, it's just like once you once you kind of realize this shame cycle and you yeah. realize that like letting go of your shame is yeah. how you you get through this. Yeah. It, it's it's such a game changer. Like reading that book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, is one of the most important things I've ever read. Yeah. Like it it changed my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. And just just and it's so hard because your body becomes so addicted to certain actions right mm -hmm. but it is just being non-reactive and allowing something to pass mm -hmm. it's like the only way it's it's that the only way out is through thing mm -hmm. idea yeah thing <laughs> <laughs> thingamajig yeah yeah, just... yeah. yeah it's through it's always through so with all of that being said though Many of you may still be asking yourself, how can we really be sure this is in denial? How can we be sure whether or not HOCD is the product of, you know, a sexuality or a fetish denialism and not porn-induced pathological ideation? There are going to be some people who are gay or who fetishize gay porn without themselves being gay. Like I said earlier, that is possible. For me, accepting the possibility that I was gay helps cure my HOCD my HOCD. What it didn't cure were several of the fetishes that I developed while watching porn. I was no longer dealing with HOCD, but I was still watching trans porn. In fact, I continued watching it for several years after I had fully healed my HOCD. 
And to this day, despite very, very rarely ever watching porn, I can still say that I'm attracted to trans women and I have no issue with this. I'm quite happy and comfortable in my sexuality being attracted to women and trans women. The fact of the matter is that the only surefire way to cure a porn-induced fetish is abstinence from pornography. The only surefire way to abstain from pornography is to release the shame that fed the development of the addiction and the fetish in the first place. Over time, without shame to fuel it or the addiction to, es to cause escalating behavior, the fetishes do disappear. This is a very common occurrence among people who abstain from pornography. You'll have men who have watched all sorts of fetishes and after cessation from porn use, these fetishes disappear. This is also true for men with HOCD who started watching gay porn. With abstinence and work on their anxiety, their desire to watch this porn and their experience of HOCD do eventually disappear. And sometimes the fetishes stay. So the answer to whether these are authentic sexualities or not is dependent on acceptance. Letting go of the shame and abstaining from the porn use will lead to an understanding of what is authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, a gay man who accepts will be gay. A straight man who accepts will be straight. Mm -hmm. And if the fetishes stay, that's perfectly okay because again, you've accepted yourself as you are. Mm -hmm. There's nothing shameful about any sort of fetish as long as it's not hurting you or hurting somebody else. That's a really like, hopeful thing to discuss yeah. because I can only imagine that people experiencing this must just be so confused about their identity and like what is yeah. authentic and if they'll ever be able to enjoy things from a healthy place again for sure you know for sure i feel like if i had a sex addiction i'd be like you know will i ever be able to enjoy sex yeah. just as like a regular human being one of the most pleasurable aspects of human life but yeah you can like, there's hope <laughs> yeah there is and there is a way to get down to that authenticity and yeah I mean, there's a lot of, I've seen countless posts of, of mostly young men who are, who are holding off on having relationships because they're just like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know what I'm into. I don't know if I'm, I'm gay or not. I don't know if I'm into this thing or not. And I, I, I'm so afraid of being in a relationship because I don't know if it's going to ruin it. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that I, I say to these men is the fact that it's like, you need to accept the fetish. Mm -hmm. You need to accept the HOCD or whatever kind of uh, sexuality OCD they're dealing with. And through that acceptance, no matter what happens, you'll be able to be in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what fetish you have, there are going to, there's going to be someone with that fetish too. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be able to live that out in a way that's healthy and respectful of yourself and them. If you're not accepting of what you're into, you're never going to be able to find that person because you'll always be looking for someone who just isn't aligned with what you're aligned with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it will always be an unhealthy expression that way. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about is that I have seen some men who have a uh, resurfacing of their HOCD or their fetish. Uh, just last week, actually, I saw a post by a guy who was saying he's been abstinent from porn for two months, and yet he's actually beginning to see an increase in intrusive thoughts about his cross-dressing fetish. Right. And this guy, he said that like, he'll, he'll literally be at work and a woman will be wearing like pantyhose, for example. Right. 
and he'll suddenly have like these intense intrusive thoughts about the fact that like oh I, what would i look in that what would that feel like should i be doing this and like again the way he describes it it sounds exactly like hocd it's just specific to his fetish his sexuality whatever it is mm-hmm. and it's like it, again there's nothing wrong with that with cross-dressing like if that's what you're into like as a fetish that's fine um but in his case he was extremely troubled with it and his strategy thus far had been to fight the thoughts with everything he had you know he even uh listened to more extreme black metal and worked out more in hopes that it would help him man up so to speak oh right yeah exactly um and and what this guy and people dealing with HOCD or porn-induced fetishes don't understand, like I've said multiple times, is that these strategies are just going to make the problem worse. Mm. Not only is he reinforcing the idea that he is only a man if he does this like narrow set of things that are masculine, he's also associating these things with the obsessive thoughts. You know, he's going to be thinking while he listens to black metal, oh yeah, this is really going to stop those cross-dressing thoughts. And then it just acts like the famous phrase, don't think about a pink elephant. And that's exactly what he does. Mm-hmm. Eventually what happens is that every time he listens to this music or works out or does any of these sort of manly things, he's going to be triggered into these obsessive thoughts. Mm-hmm. He'll get anxious, he'll feel ashamed, and the thoughts will become even worse. The point is that dealing with the thoughts is what feeds the thoughts. This is exactly what we talked about in the secret key to meditation episode. You have to let go. Obviously much Much easier said than done. But practicing the exercise we talked about in that episode on a consistent basis can create a compounding level of acceptance in in one's life. It really is a skill that you can develop over time. It's not like we're saying, accept everything. Okay, I accept everything. It's all fine. You need to develop this. Yeah, and feel it and embody it. Like there's so many levels to letting go and to accepting. But, you know, that's, that's the work. Exactly. And it's, uh, I mean, there's a path forward Mm -hmm. and that's kind of my goal with this episode is just to like to, to explain everything that I've been through and how I accomplished this Mm -hmm. and have it as a path for other people that can walk that have been through something, if not exactly this, something very similar to it. Yeah. Whatever it is really, Mm -hmm. it's like, this is the path forward. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are dealing with like anxieties about their identity anxieties about their sexuality anxieties about their body anxieties about a whole host of things literally anything you can anything you can fucking imagine it's like (laughs) you're you're fighting of these things you're denial of these things you're like doing manly things or womanly things to try to like stop these thoughts doesn't help Mm -hmm. it's just through accepting that no matter what you're gonna be okay yeah you know and did you ever do anything like that did you ever think like i have to work out more listen to more metal no no it never manifested that way not really no i well okay let me think about that one actually yeah honestly no i don't think so i don't think so um or like i have to watch or i have to look at women more like did you even something like that any kind of reactive like thing obviously in the opposite direction like did you start looking at women like, oh, she's really hot and like really trying to pour your energy into that side? Not that I remember. No, mm. no. I think like the only really way that my, my behavior manifested was in compulsive checking. Mm-hmm. Like I would find pictures of attractive men and be like, look at it and be like, am I attracted to this person? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, 
that obviously made it worse. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I, as far as I can remember, I don't think there was anything like that. Um, but it was, it was honestly, like I would say, and if I look back on it, comparing myself and the path I've seen other people take is that I was really, really interested in psychology. And so I was naturally drawn to look up all of this stuff. And so I think through that, I kind of led, it led me to discovering what HOCD was and reading everything I could about it early. Whereas I see a lot of people who've been struggling with it for like months or years and have never really done a lot of research into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like my entire experience with it as like a 19 year old lasted for maybe six to seven months, Mm -hmm. I would say from like, this is really a problem. Like I'm losing my mind to I'm completely healed. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's really essential is recognizing it as a problem. Yeah. Because it is, we, we discussed how insidious it can be in its development. And it's, most people will just be like, not even of the mind to see it as like a psychological problem. Yeah. Like he said, because we were interested in psychology, you're like, hmm, what is this? Like you're curious and obviously desiring understanding. Yeah. But not everyone's like that. No, exactly. No, they'll just be like straight to denial. Yeah. And they'll stay there for a very long time. Yeah. Well, even, um, like I can imagine a lot of, uh, like the kind of stereotypical, uh, conservative anti-gay politician Mm -hmm. who spends his entire life, you know, fighting the gay is, he may not even be gay, Mm -hmm. but he's so afraid that he could be because it's so against his ideology or ideology, however you pronounce that word, uh, that he's like, he needs to remove it from reality. So he doesn't have to think about like those horrifying thoughts. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm based on what I know about HOCD and about like how this kind of development happens in porn addicts. I wouldn't be surprised if many of these guys who get like caught, you know, with a male prostitute or something like this are, are fine, are driven to a breaking point of checking behavior mm-hmm. where they literally have to check to see if they're gay mm-hmm. by tr- doing through a gay experience. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it becomes kind of like a self, it's a self-perpetuating cycle where like they continue checking because they're just so afraid and they just cannot deal with like accepting the fact that they could be that it's just like, it's, it's endless waves of compulsively checking that develop into like actually hooking up with a gay men. Yeah. Yeah. And just like that, to that extremity of shame and needing more and more Mm-hmm. shameful stimulus like even just watching porn it can come to like yeah actually seeking that out in your own life. exactly and, and it's it's almost classic it, well it, it, it's not almost it, it exactly is classical conditioning mm-hmm. you associate your arousal with this sexual stimulus and you're going to become aroused by it mm-hmm. and so that becomes even more confusing that you might not be like head you, you might not be uh attracted to gay men romantically but through conditioning, you've become sexually aroused by this. And so you're confused between your hetero, hetero romantic tendencies and this new, like, conditioned homosexual arousal. Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult, man. Like, it, it's human psychology is very complicated. If, oh, my God, yeah. Mm. One thing I thought of about what I was saying before about how some people wouldn't even realize, wouldn't even let themselves realize that they had a problem and they would just try to deny this for a very long time. I feel like we always, we end a lot of our podcasts on the topic of the need for better education. <laughs> and I'm going to do it again. Yeah. It's so true. Psychology in high school yeah. was an option. 
Like, I took it because I was like, oh, psychology is cool. Yeah. But not everybody took psychology. Yeah. Not all people think like this. And But like you said earlier, we all have trauma. We're all, you know, we all have brains. We all have a, a, mm. a mind and emotions. And the fact that if you're not interested in it and you don't go seek it out, you probably have very little education on these matters. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah. And, and it's, it's. Our, our strategy up to this point has just been to repress, whether it's sexuality or emotions or illness of any kind, it's like hide it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's like, uh, there's evidence to, to say that um, one of the Kennedys, like maybe JFK, his sister was lobotomized because she was like gay or she was like a little bit too rambunctious as a woman at the time. And so they like lobotomized her. Right. And they came up with the story that she was always uh, mentally handicapped when, in fact, like they just lobotomized her. And again, I don't know if this is true. This could just be a conspiracy theory. So please take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But point being is that like we're so we, we've been so repressive in the past that the idea of somebody getting lobotomized because they're not repressing themselves doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's been our strategy. And like. Even the psychology classes that we took, they didn't really teach us like how to be, you know what I mean? They didn't teach us how to, they didn't, it wasn't an operator's manual. No, no, it was very much history. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you think for, if we got the operator's manual for everything, it would be fucking how to be, (laughs) you know, like how to be a human being. Yeah. Well, thank you for (laughs) taking us on this journey yeah thank you for coming with me being so open and so vulnerable i appreciate that um i hope that people get something from this if if nothing else it was just interesting um yeah if you want to check us out on social media (laughs) (laughs) it's just so funny like i have this intense conversation follow us on twitter for more yeah yeah exactly at wild in theology (laughs) same picture same name um Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else I want to say? Mm -hmm. No. Okay, bye. Have a good day. Have a good day.